Hey there, before we get started, just a little disclaimer. The following episode is going to be based on a topic that some people may find a little sensitive. That is black history, faith communities, non-belief, and the way those things all play on each other. With that said, we welcome you. But if you feel like you may want to put this off for another time when you're ready to go down that rabbit hole, let's go. And we are back with the second half of Hubert Harrison, The Voice of Harlem Radicalism, a book by Jeffrey B. Perry. If you missed it the last time, we're back to talk and continue the presentation of Dr. Jeffrey B. Perry from 2021's Legacy Program. Hubert is probably one of the most neglected but powerfully influential figures in African-American history, and he was an atheist. On this episode, we get a little bit deeper into the life of this Harlem radical that shaped the Black liberation movement as we know it. This. And more on where we're headed. We thought, stories, gender, politics, blackness, education, doubt, critique, science. Tension that, that you're talking about um, in '62. Uh, I don't think I had a, a political thought in my head. Um, just working and trying to raise a family, as a matter of fact. And Huey was then a college student at Merritt College. The origin of the party is 1966, and Los Angeles was the first of our chapters. Um, the only tension that we had. Uh, from our inception was this ideological struggle between the cultural nationalists and uh, our Black Panther Party, whose ideology or philosophy was um, always a class analysis uh, based on coalition politics. Um, That is something that um, uh, still is at the... the, um, the top of our agendas in the black community these days, uh, inclusive in that, of course, is this whole class struggle. So we were always uh, opposing and uh, and rejecting what we considered a very reactionary ideology manifest in uh, people who had the uh, ideology of separation, or pan-Africanism, or racism. interested in thinking a little more deeply on this. Um, this whole question of white identity, I'd like to offer some thoughts on that. And they are the following. If what Allen writes, and, and what Harrison gets at me at that different period, but what Allen writes is true. If the white race is a ruling class social control formation, if we look at the nature of the oppression to analyze this white race, if we move beyond skin color, because Alan's whole first volume talks about the nature of oppression in Ireland at different periods and how there was racial oppression in Ireland for a reason similar to the fact that we had the racial oppression here in the colony and how that situation is different than other parts of the world. If we understand racial oppression um, by the nature of the oppression, we move beyond skin color 
and we understand the white race as a ruling class social control formation, then I myself see nothing at all progressive in any European American identifying as white. Um, I think for myself, and uh, I would encourage others, I think the task is to oppose white supremacy, to oppose white privileges, generally and in our own lives. Um, for me, I consider my struggle to try and be as human as I can. I am not even handed about this. I think we have to really examine more deeply and probe more deeply. And I think, I think the direction that in society would like to build, I think it would take European Americans to move in the direction of being more human. Free thinkers were secular and held that ethical standards arose not from a supreme being, but from human action toward other human beings. Free thought in this period in the early 20th century attracted many prominent followers, including suffragists Susan B. Anthony and Elizabeth Cady Stanton, orators Ewell Pentecost and Robert Ingersoll, anti-slavery activist Horace Greeley, Union Army Colonel and author Thomas Wentworth Higginson, attorney Clarence Darrow, socialist Eugene Debs, authors Samuel Clemens and Monsieur D. Conway, and others influenced by free thought included Lucy Parsons, anarchist Emma Goldman, poet and historian Carl Sandberg, and many, Af uh, Carl Sandberg, and many African and Afro-Caribbean leaders and writers, including Joel A. Rogers, A. Philip Randolph, Richard B. Moore, Harge Kiernan, Claude McKay, journalist activist Cyril Briggs, Rothschild Francis from St. Thomas, and W.E.B. Du Bois, according to his biographer, David Levering Lewis, was, quote, an agnostic and an anti-clerical. Um, Hodge Kiernan, again, I, I emphasize that Harrison was easily the first and foremost Negro in the case of free thought. For years, Harrison recommended books published by the Truth Seeker Company, and he, his personal collection of books included collected books by Conway, Ingersoll, Hackle, uh, books about Payne and Spencer, and catalogs from the Rationalist Press, which had significant number of publications in those years. In, in August of 1920, in Garvey's Movement's Negro World Paper, which Harrison was the principal editor of that time, Harrison wrote, those who want good books on science, history, religion, and literature at very low prices should write to the Rationalist Press Association of London, England, and ask for their list of six penny reprints. Uh, the Thomas Paine commemoration, we're, we're a little more than halfway finished. <laughs> in, in February, 1911, Harrison spoke at the Free Thought sponsored Thomas Paine commemoration dinner. Publicity for the event depicted him as a Negro who has a reputation of being the most scholarly representative of his race in America. And in addition to discussing Paine's militant unbelief in democratic descent, Harrison described how deism in Paine's England led to the development of criticism, textual at first, and the scientific development of higher criticism that grew in the 19th century into agnosticism and atheism. 
In examining the personal deism of Paine, Harrison saw several very positive aspects in, in his approach. He cited the common sense criticism, include, including that of numerical blunders in Chronicles and comparisons of the genealogy of Christ given in Matthew with that in Luke. Harrison did very careful study of the Bible too and, had, and found many what he considered to be flaws historically. Uh, histor he also cited historical criticism, such as the fact that the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Old Testament, couldn't have been written by Moses since it included events after Moses' death, including his burial. And three, comparative and literary criticism, such as that found in the second part of Paine's The Age of Reason. Harrison contended that Paine closed the deistical uh, controversy and brought the debate down to the level of all people, to the level of democracy. In his free thought work, as in his socialist and race conscious work, Harrison emphasized the importance of democratization of scientific knowledge using the, this approach. He continued to express his views pub publicly. And in November 4th, 1911, uh, Harrison wrote a very important article um, on the menace of exception church property. Uh, it was a front page article in the Truth Seeker and, uh, uh, and subtitled, uh, in a church property in New York was worth $400 million and they didn't, and the church didn't pay any taxes. The article described how churches with property in New York city worth four to $500 million evaded payment of taxes. He argued for taxation of church property and against the idea that this was, was or should be a Christian nation that owed special privileges to the church. Citing the Census Bureau's report on religious bodies for 1910, he maintained that it made no sense to call this a Christian nation since three-fifths of the people were not church members in any sense of the word. Importantly, religious property was tax-exempt, and this meant the church property was supported by the taxes of many property holders who were not members of churches, and he called this a monstrous injustice, not only against three-fifths of, of the people, but also against the secular property of the other three-fifths. Harrison asked, how can the churches, especially the Christian church, reconcile this policy of public dishonesty with the professions of piety? Advocates of church tax exemption uh, evidently assumed that church property should be tax exempt by virtue of divine right. He puts that in quotes. Harrison readily took up the divine right argument and pointed out neither the Bible nor the early fathers furnished any ground for such a belief, and the scripture, Christian scriptures themselves contained an implied condemnation of the tax exemption theory. In the Synoptic Gospels, Jesus paid his taxes and laid down the principle governing such cases by offering the advice to the reader, render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and unto, God, and unto God the things that are God's. This Harrison emphasized was how the first, quote, Christian paid his taxes. Harrison also pointed out the role that the Christian church had played in the downfall of civilizations and nations, from Rome to the more recent examples of France, Spain, and Portugal. Through the extensive system of exemptions and privileges, he argued, the church first secured a hold on the state and then strangled it. He concluded with a forceful call for taxation of church property. And here's a quote. 
since the exemption of church property from taxation is the very root of that power by which the church becomes a social and political menace, since we have the experience of the past and the present to show us the deplorable effects of this power in the national life of a people, since the churches themselves can advance no valid claim, even from their own Bible, to the tax exemption of their property, and since the exemption of any but pro public property is unjust and dangerous on grounds of civil, civic and political welfare, the churches ought to be compelled to pay their just portion of the burden of public expense. Next section, uh, free thought and birth control lecture. In 1914, Harrison set out to organize his own lecture schedule. This is after he breaks from the Socialist Party. Very briefly, Harrison was active in the Socialist Party um, from around 1911 uh, through 1914. And 1912 was the high point. Debs was running for president. Harrison campaigned as many as 23 times a week. He spoke before 50,000 people at Union Square in New York. He went down. Uh, he went down in, in the period, in that overall period, to the corner of Wall Street and Broad in front of the stock exchange and spoke uh, as far as his voice could reach from 1 p.m. to 4 p.m. on socialism in what I refer to a crowd. The crowd extended that far, and I refer to that as an early Occupy uh, Wall Street. And Harrison still, he started to move out of the Socialist Party because he was getting disenchanted because they failed to take up the issue of uh, fighting against white supremacy. He considered the Negro to be the touchstone of the modern democratic idea. And for those unfamiliar with a touchstone, this is a touchstone. It's a black stone. You rub the metal against it to see if it's really the gold that it's purported to be. So you take any issue in society, housing, um, uh, healthcare, education, et cetera, put it to the test see how black people are faring and what are we going to do about it? And he went on to say, true democracy and equality for the Negro implies a revolution startling to even think of. So he was putting that type of a program before the socialists and they refused to discuss it. Before the 1912 convention, he wrote Southernism or Socialism in one of their leading journals, what's going to be the direction of the party? And they refused to even discuss it. But in that convention, they did discuss Asian immigration, they took some of the most racist positions in the history of the Socialist Party. So by 1914, 1913, he went out to Patterson, New Jersey, not far from where I live, and he was active with the Patterson Silk Strike. You know, he's still a great advocate for labor, for working people, um, but he's moving away from the Socialist Party. And by 1914, he resigns from the Socialist Party. And by 1914, 15, he starts trying to work more independently uh, and he becomes a free thought thinker and he's active with the modern school movement. And I'll get, I'll get into that in a second. So in 1914, Harrison set out to organize his own lecture schedule. Starting in April, he held outdoor lectures at 181st Street and St. Nicholas Avenue, sponsored by the Harlem Education Alliance, other places too. He lectures all over the city. And um, during the summer, he spoke on science, evolution, and literature against religious superstitions and in support of women's suffrage and birth control. As Harrison made his living lecturing on street corners and selling books, his themes were influenced by his socialist views, his rationalist anti-religious positions, 
his support of women's suffrage and birth control and his race conscious. In New York City in 1914, such a combination of ideas coming from an African-American led to opposition from the authorities and from thugs. Threats were made against him on several occasions to force him to stop speaking. His views on birth control and religion were often opposed and at his outdoor talks, he and others were often forced to defend themselves physically from mobs. Harrison was a pioneering African-American speaker on birth control. Uh, socialist and free thinkers were prominent in the birth control movement and movement founder Margaret Sanger had been a member of Harrison's Socialist Party, Branch 5, prior to 1914. According to Du Bois, there had been little formal work on birth control in the African-American community before, before then. Harrison made efforts at great times to counter that lack of information. Very importantly, however, while he agitated in favor of birth control, he was, as his later, writing in, as his later writings indicated, also aware of white supremacist aspects of the issue. Uh, in 1920, he would publicly express his opposition to the practices of white doctors who in their hospitals from the South to Harlem or performed operations on colored women unbeknown to them to be sure that they would not be breeders of men. Of men. The true seeker of June 27, 1914, noted that Harrison was giving outdoor lectures on religious subjects at uptown gatherings in places and disposing of large numbers of Payne's Age of Region, which he discussed as the fifth gospel, that of St. Thomas. He, he always had a way with words. He spoke on Monday nights at 125th Street and 7th Avenue, Tuesday at 181st and St. Nick, Nicholas Ave, Wednesday at 137th Street and Broadway, Broadway and then repeated, repeated on these three sites on Thursday, Friday, and Saturdays and had good audiences at all these sites. On June 26, 1914, his noontime Friday lecture at Madison Square, Broadway at 23rd, was interrupted when the police arrested him for holding a religious meeting without a permit. He had been delivering lectures of a historical and critical nature. And according to the truth seeker, he had aroused some opposition from Catholic and Protestant antagonists, antagonists who couldn't match his superior readiness and erudition. The complaint was filed by a man named, named Seeger who objected to Harrison speaking on religion without a religion uh, or license. Though Seeger was more, uh, was more aroused by blasphemous language of those who opposed Harrison, none of the opposing troublemakers were arrested. The arresting officer claimed that he was not bothered by Harrison's lack of license or by the contents of his discourse, but that his reason for making the arrest was concern of a possible riot. In court, Harrison claimed that he extended every effort to aid the police in maintaining order and decorum. Magistrate Corrigan ruled in Harrison's favor as he would do in several other uh, situations. Corrigan stated that he would not, not tolerate discrimination against the speaker for merely uh, expressing his views. He then released Harrison and warned that, warned that he would deal with him more harsh, harshly if he persisted in the future in defying the police and holding meetings tending to cause disturbances. The Radical Forum, this was Harrison's organization. Harrison's lectures were regularly attended at these places. As he continued to speak throughout the city, his popularity grew. The truth seeker of August 8th, 1914, uh, reported that the people hear him gladly, and on numerous occasions, his two and a half hour lectures drew 1,500 people with exa without exhausting their interest. 
He was described as scholarly, versatile, humorous, and instant in reply. And his talks treated subjects as diverse as history, literature, politics, and religion. The talks on religion regularly included digressions into polemics and textual criticism of the Bible. And Harrison criticized the historical and evolution point of view. The truth seeker attributed a new freedom of, of street propaganda in New York City to the efforts of Harrison and to the efforts of anarchists who were involved in free speech struggles at this time. We'll be right back after this break. Next time on Where We're Headed. I think people don't get that. It's like, whoever you talk to in your closet when you prayed this morning, all right, I, whatever. But the church, capital C, institution, is a thing. And those have material effects that you cannot deny. No matter how many rainbows and trees your Jesus hugs, which personally I'm not a... I have interesting views on um, <laughs> on, on Jesus that gets both sides of, of the aisle a little upset. Is that how we do things in America, Afghan? Al-Qaeda? Osama? Huh? Is it? But right here, let's call this the barter system. Hey, I'm a little interested in these two. Oh, oh, is someone hit me and they... I got with the Jojo? Yeah, he took a lot hey, to your Jojo. Even, even back in the day, like, it was like every church didn't agree. Many churches did not agree with Martin Luther King at all. It had nothing to do with nothing to do with what he was doing. Um, he was doing too much too far. Some people even found offense to the way he was talking about black people. It was like, well, God loves everybody, right? Yeah, that's and a... They, yeah, they found offense, the fact that he was focusing and talking so much um, about black people it's like well god loves everybody and i can't really i can't you know i don't live a gospel where god only cares about black people looking low and he's working on my behalf so all i'm going to do is sit back and praise the goodness of jesus i'm going to tell who's doing it i'm going to testify that the lord is fixing this for me we have been fed that that idea that you know church is synonymous with civil rights. That's a part of that cultural myth-making that I was... During the pandemic, we took that opportunity to really explore through AfricanAncestry.com, which is a Black-owned business that helps you identify who and where you come from. We took that opportunity to look at all sides of our family. It's a homosexuality case. That's where I've come to ensure that our country prospers, our people are not taking advantage of homosexuality, does not take root because it hurts many of our young people who get lured into it or forced into it. Yeah. But this section of the penal code provides for life sentence. Any person who has carried knowledge of any person against the order of nature is liable to imprisonment for life. 95% of the population does not uh, support homosexuality. Now, they are fearing for people. They're going to be paying God to their city. To have the money that they was making and gave it back to the community, we'd be alright. And they take half the buildings that they used to praise God and gave it to motherfuckers who need God, we'd be alright. It's homeless people out here. Why ain't God letting them stay here? Why these niggas got gold ceilings and shit? Why God need gold ceilings to talk to me? The creature 
he called us cockroaches, it quickly links with the statement that was said in Rwanda by trying to bring up another genocide of the LGBT communities. Next time on Where We're Headed. Are you currently on a faith journey of your own? Are you questioning, seeking to find community in a way that's outside of traditional religious institutions, or reimagining yourself in relationship to your community and your surroundings as a formerly religious person? You're not as alone as you think you are. There are communities and people and organizations that exist to help people like you in your own journey along the way of life in your questions, in humanism, free thought, in social justice, education, LGBTQ advocacy, scholarships, and more. You are absolutely not the only one. There are others like you, and we're organized, we're engaged, we're active, we're protesting, communicating, and we're trying to live healthy lives as best and ethically as we possibly can, and to have a little fun along the way. Learn more about some of these organizations, like the ones that have produced this podcast, Where We're Headed. You can find out more at American humanist.org and blacknonbelievers.org. That's the American Humanist Association at americanhumanist.org. And on Facebook, search us at Black Nonbelievers of DC and Black Nonbelievers at blacknonbelievers.org. Find us online, support today, check us out. Harrison was soon tested by more blatant discrimination and extra legal methods. Seemingly Seemingly complicit police behavior was involved in a serious physical con- con- uh, uh, confrontation, August 11th, 1914. According to the truth seeker at about 10.30 p.m. after a talk that included a bitter attack on the church in general and on the Catholic church in particular, a group of about 50 rowdy, rowdies who uh, waited until the crowd dispersed went after Harrison with, quote, murderous intent. intent. As he entered the underground passage, if those familiar with that subway station at 181st Street, it's it's an elevated subway. You know, you have to, you have, it's on different levels, the street and that, the subway. Um, as he entered the underground passage leading to the subway and walked in front of the ticket booth, the mob rushed him and began to beat him. Harrison had been forewarned of danger and was ready, having provided himself with a leg from the table from which he spoke as a means of defense. As he was attacked by the group, the ringleader, a fellow named McElroy, struck at him with an iron bar. Harrison parried the blow and struck back, sending McElroy to the ground and then to the hospital while his uh, cohorts dispersed. Kind of a fearless uh, speaker, Harrison, speaker and defender of his rights. Public uh, reserves suddenly appeared and arrested him, but not any of his assailants. Police reserves, excuse me. He was taken to the 177th Street Station, locked up 
and charged on a charge of felonious assault and placed on a $500 bond. Since he did not have anything near that, he was forced after a brief hearing to stay in jail for three days until he went before the magistrate. Again, however, Harrison won acquittal. He argued self-defense was help, uh, was helpful according to the truth to the truth seeker was helped by the fact that the testimony of his accuser was less than credible. Throughout his ordeal, Harrison received no help from the Socialist Party, though he was still nominally a member. The party paper, the New York Call, entirely ignored his case. Um, Harrison also received support. He did receive support from the Truth Seeker, which on August 22nd reported that he aroused the bitterest enemy uh, animosity from Ro Roman Catholic plug uglies. And it noted that on several occasions, the ruffians had threatened Harrison with criminal violence. It was to the free thinkers and other radical groups that he now turned. Uh, in the August 22nd uh, Truth Seeker of 1914, Harrison recounted the successful efforts of you Pentecost who, went to, uh, who had attracted to free thought a large number of people until his death in 1907. And he writes on Pentecost, a very nice piece. Harrison noted at, in this period that the radicals of New York were scattered in various organizations and mo movements, including socialist, anarchist, single taxes, and atheists. And that since they were generally separated from each other due to the needs of their organizations, they did not have access to the awakening breath of the larger li liberalism. It was this larger liberalism that was needed to, to cut through the dogmatic cards of the separate creeds. Harrison's answer was to seek to unite splintered groups. And this was uh, through his effort, through the um, uh, speaking at the modern school and for his um, People's Forum. Uh, in September 1928, Harrison wrote that he would lecture once a week on Sunday afternoon. His radical forum would be a forum for free spirits, a place where men and women sick of the insincerities of cults and creeds can mentally walk and recreate themselves. He soon expanded his forum to six days a week and it was all over the city. And some samples of his talks included modern materialism, Jesus Christ and the working man, a challenge to the Christian socialists, the natural history of religion, the nature of religion, the class struggle, the roots of religion, a study in primitive psychology, sex, sinners, and society, the worship of death, death, how God grew, the evolution of the idea of God, evolution, social and organic, the manufacture of God, the origins of the priesthood, and a defense of atheism. So he's speaking very widely. In 19... Uh, September 1914, we just have a couple more pages to go here. In September 1914, in The Truth Seeker, Truth Seeker featured a major Harrison article called The Negro, a Conservative. And in it, Harrison wrote, Christianity still enslaves the minds of, the, uh, of those whose body it has long held bound. Harrison challenged the role of Christianity and called for Negroes to shake off the trammels of such time-serving leaders as Booker T. Washington, who was at that time the most powerful black leader in the country. Harrison discussed how an intellectual endeavor, uh, the dominant attitude of the American Negro has been, quote, conservative. He noted that in theological criticism, religious dissent, social and political heresies, a single tax, socialism, anarchism, the Negro in America has taken no part, though there was a glimmer of change in some of the younger duration. 
of the younger generation. He attributed this to the fact that Christian America created the color line, and just a quote, and all that great currents of critical opinion from the 18th century to our time have found the great barrier impassable and well nigh impervious. Behind the color line, one has to think perpetually of the color line. And most of those who grow up behind it can think of nothing else. Even when one attempts to think of other things, that thinking is tinged with the shades of the surrounding atmosphere. He added that the obstacles to Negro education, such as the meager 58 cents per pupil cent annually in certain Southern counties, uh, further help to explain the, the dearth of thinkers who are radical and other than racial matters. After noting that African-Americans has, have suffered more than any other class of African-Americans from the dubious blessings of Christianity, Harrison offered some historical context. It has been well said that the two great instruments for the propagation of race prejudice in America are the Associated Press and the Christian Church. This is quite true. Historically, it was the name of religion that cloaked the beginnings of slavery on the soil of America and buttressed its continuance. The church saw to it that the religion taught to slaves should stress the servile virtues of subservience and content, and those things have bitten deeply into the souls of black folk. When the fight for the abolition of slavery was on, the Christian church, not content with quoting scripture, gagged the mouth of such of their adherents as dared to protest against the accursed thing, penalized their open advocacy of abolition, and opposed all men like William Lloyd Garrison, Elijah Paris, Lovejoy, Wendell Phillips, and John Brown, who fought on behalf of the Negro slave. Here in America, the spirit of the Negro has been transformed by three centuries of, subject, of subjection, physical and mental, so that they have even glorified the fact of the subjection and, servience, and subservience. Their spirits have been completely crushed by the system of slavery. And to accomplish this, Christianity, the Christianity of their masters was the most effective instrument. This historical perspective helped explain why the church among the Negroes today exerts a more powerful influence than anything else in the sphere of ideas, and it prompted Harrison to comment. Nietzsche's contention that the ethics of Christianity are the slave's ethics would seem to be justified in this instance. Show me a population that is deeply religious, and I will show you a servile population, content with whips and chains and contumely and the uh, gibbet, contumely to eat the bread of sorrow and drink the, west, uh, the, the waters of affliction. Looking, looking ahead, Harrison feared that many years would pass before the leaders of the thought among my people in this country could tribute many representatives to the cause of free thought. There were few Negro agnostics in New York and Boston, but they were generally found to be amongst West Indians um, uh, in New York and Boston. Um, Cuban and Puerto Rican cigar makers were, were notorious infidels due to their acquaintance with the bigotry and immorality of the church. But in the United States, if one encounters a Negro American is, who is reputed to have agnostic tendencies, that perspective is seldom, if ever, openly avowed. He could hardly blame that person because the weight of social prescription, which was it was possible to bring on that person, was oftentimes unbearable. Under such conditions, he urged rising generations of Negroes to shake off the trammels of such time-serving leaders as, as Booker T. Washington. 
um, teaching at the modern school in 1914 and 15, a major influence in Harrison's development in 1914 and 15 um, was his work as an adjunct professor, professor of comparative religion at the Ferrer Association's modern school in Harlem on 107th Street. School was a series of protests of a Spanish anarchist and educator, Francisco Ferrer y Guardia, who had been charged with being the author and chief of the 1909, July 26, 1909, general strike in opposition to the Spanish armies calling up reserves to fight the colonial war for Morocco in Morocco. He was killed in Barcelona. The modern school attempted to apply the principle of freedom in ed education to challenge the educational system reinforced habits and culture. Historian Paul Avrix describes the school as an important focus of cultural and social ferment in the years preceding the First World War, and it was a place uh, where anarchism, socialism, syndical, uh, syndicalism, revolution, birth control, free love, cubism, futurism, Freudism, feminism, the new, uh, the new woman, uh, the new theater, direct action, general strike, were all intensely uh, discussed. Um, Harrison attended the fifth anniversary of the birth of the uh, new school in 1914 and became an instructor there. And in 1915, he ended uh, uh, from February to April 1915, he offered a series of lectures in comparative religion. And his topics included the two religions of India, the religions of China, the religion of Islam, paganism and Christianity, the debt of Christianity to paganism, monotheism and morality, religion and government, why all religions are reactionary, religion and the proletariat, religion and culture, and agnostics apology, the duty of free thinking and plain thinking. There's my last page here. Free thought, the militant new Negro movement. By 1916, Harrison was uh, turning to concentrated work in the, new, uh, in the Negro community, and he um, was on the verge of founding the New Negro Movement. He was lecturing in 1916 for the New York Secular Society, still active with the uh, secular movement. On December 10th, 1916, he lectured at Liberty Hall on uh, radical results of the higher criticism or infidelity amongst our min min ministers. A late January 1917 handout headlined, are you a free thinker or does some minister, priest or rabbi own your brain? If not, why not come out to our lectures every Sunday afternoon at three o'clock on 126th Street? And Harrison, so he's Harrison's delivering delivering these lectures, which lead up to his founding the new, new New Negro movement in June and July of 1917. After Harrison came out with The Voice, the first newspaper of the military, the New Negro on July 4th, 1917. Uh, uh, it also called, uh, it was on July uh, 4th, 1917. The truth seeker of July 21st noted the appearance of the paper. It also called attention to the fact that Hubert Harrison was widely known free thought speaker uh, who edited it. Six years later, um, or well, excuse me, in January 19th, 1924, the Chicago Defender commented that the ju Jubilee issue of the truth seeker contained a powerful uh, which was a powerful weekly of 50 years, uh, stated that uh, um, and used a picture of Hubert Harrison in its commemorative issue of September 1st, 1923. Uh, so they, they were still honoring him and his role. 
So I sum up this, these thoughts here. Uh, clearly, the free thought movement has significantly influenced Hubert Harrison, the father of Harlem radicalism and founder of the militant New Negro movement. And clearly, Hubert Harrison had contributed significantly to the free thought movement. So I'm going to have a sip of coffee and I'll take a break. Well, I hope you had enough. That was the second of our two-part series on Hubert Harrison with Dr. Jeffrey B. Perry and his monumental book on Hubert from Columbia Press. Personally, as I said, I was so ashamed to learn that I didn't know anything about this man, but I'm so glad that I learned who he was and I'm still learning more about him thanks to Jeffrey's scholarship. We're gonna keep it going. We've got plenty more episodes, plenty more conversations. So catch up on those old episodes if you haven't already and visit us on Twitter where you'll find more information. We're WWH Podcasting on Twitter and you can email us at bndcpodcast at gmail.com. That's WWH Podcasting on Twitter and bndcpodcast at gmail.com. See you soon.